1: Yes. Gail, I feel like I need to talk to you for a minute. And while you're kind of going ahead and, and getting yourself uh, clear there, can I just uh, start off? I'm talking about the Old Testament and societal justice. And can I just be honest with you for a minute? It's really hard to look at the Old Testament and talk about justice sometimes. Is that a, can we just admit that just openly? Like, if you take a look at some of the things in the Old Testament, it's kind of hard to say, well, I don't I don't know if I see justice there, because that's sure not the way justice looks t- today. You take your pick women's rights, slavery, a lot of things there that kind of have us scratching our head. And, and Gail, I wonder if you can kind of help me a little bit make a point here that, that I'd like to make. And thank you for being willing, by the way. Okay. We, the music was so good that we just knew we needed to keep you up here longer. <laughs> I want you really brought us into Jesus presence and that's what I really appreciate. So, Gail, do you have any kids?
2: I do.
3: I have three grown children.
1: Grown children. Okay. Yes. So, I have a question for you. You as um do you parent them different today than you did when they were small?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're grown. I mean, yeah, they're grown. Okay. I've done my job. Okay, so okay. <laughs> Okay, so, okay, but let's
1: let's back up a little bit then. Did you parent them the same when they were three or four as when they were 15, 16, 17?
3: <laughs> well, when they were 15 and 16 and 17, doing the brain dead years. <laughs> um, no, I, oh my. Well, they knew the rules. They didn't always obey the rules. But, you know, um, we parented them differently then because when they're toddlers, they don't know. And so you have to... Teach them and show them and so, guide them.
1: Okay, so you were a little bit more maybe, yeah, like, yeah, kind of more hands-on when they were smaller, yeah. and then slowly kind of
3: pulling yeah, away yeah, when got they got you. to be teenagers. Gotcha. So,
1: did your values change? Then are you a different? Were you different? Were your d- values different when they were little than when they were older? In- oh
3: no, the values stayed the same. I mean, yeah, the values stayed the same, but my strategies had to change.
1: Mm. You hear me? You hear me? Okay. Gil, you're awesome. Thank, Thank you so much for helping much. me out. I sure appreciate that. Yeah. For those of you who like things spelled out, do I need to? Sometimes we approach the God of the Old Testament as being different than the God in the New Testament. But think about the difference in the Old Testament to the New Testament. Writing in the Old Testament, everything was mostly oral. Um, In fact, many people believe the first five books of the Old Testament are a song. At the end of Deuteronomy, it says, sing this to your children. And so when we look at the Old Testament, does God change? The Bible tells us God says, I do not change. But is it possible that his methods change based on time, culture, and the world around him. The principles, the values stay the same, but the methods maybe shift a little bit. That's what I want you to kind of put in the back of your head as we're talking about the Old Testament and societal justice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for being the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We want to ask you to help us know you better by understanding what you are doing in the past. We pray in your name, amen. All right, so last week I talked to you about how righteousness, righteousness and justice are synonyms in the Old Testament. That The word for justice can also mean righteousness uh, when it's used. In the Old Testament, we suggested to you what that meant was that to do justice means to be in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with others. That you cannot be in a right relationship with God if you're not in a right relationship with those around you. So what would a right relationship look like with those around you? Well, here's the synopsis of today's sermon. So if you just pay attention for about 30 to 60 seconds, you're going to get the whole sermon and then we're gonna go do the whole sermon, okay? All right, so here's the synopsis. Our main text is from Deuteronomy 10, verses 17 through 19. I'm gonna go ahead and kind of break that down for you here in a minute or two. But here's what it's gonna break down to, that we were created in the image of God, and we most resemble God when we protect and care for the most vulnerable in our society. Both the Old Testament and New Testament share a message that calls for God's people to care for the most vulnerable in our world. As those created in the image of God, how do we best arise as reflectors of our creator when it comes to the issue of taking care of those who have less power and resources in our society? That's it. That's what we're going to talk about now for a couple minutes, all right? So, let's go let's go there. Let's go ahead and take a look at that main text that we're going to be looking at this morning, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 17 through 19. And this verse says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. We read this and we gloss over it really quickly in our monotheistic society. Most of us were raised believing that there was one God, a Trinity. We believe in one God and we have taken it, this at face value. But I want you to know when these words were recorded, this was a revolutionary idea. Think about when there's a pantheon of gods. They're jealous, they're arbitrary, they're fickle, and they are most definitely able to be bribed. That was the whole point of sacrifices. That was the whole point Of when you do something, you go and bribe the God to give you a break. Or when you want something, you go bribe him. By the way, some of us still relate to God in a pagan way. We think that we can bribe God by doing things for him. That's a pagan idea. Not a biblical worldview of who God is. We don't bribe him. And he is not partial. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Why does God talk about orphans and widows and foreigners? Because in that time, in that place, these were the most vulnerable people in their society. Some things don't change. Some things do. But in that time and that place, if you were a widow, you potentially had lost the protection of a man in a society where men dominated everything. And what does God say? I ensure that orphans and widows receive justice. He cares about that. What about foreigners? Even today, all it takes is a quick look around the United States to see the inequities that can come when somebody doesn't speak the language and when somebody shows up. I, unfortunately, as a pastor, have had church members who have immigrated to the United States who have not been treated justly by their employers. They don't receive the same wage that somebody else would receive doing the same job that they're doing. And God says, that's not who I am. He shows love to the foreigners for those who are strangers. That's another way that word can be trained is strangers. Strangers living among you. We often have this Old Testament viewpoint that God has this partiality toward the Israelites. And yet what we see him saying is, I love people who are not Israelites and I want them to be taken care of. I'm going to show you some verses here in a few minutes that are going to kind of show that to you a little bit more. And then it finishes off with these words. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. The idea of these verses is that if God's that way, you need to be that way too. The God who has justice and mercy and cares about the most vulnerable in our society desires that those who call themselves his followers would do the same. So what I'd like to do is take a walk through the Old Testament laws. Mostly what we're going to be doing is taking a look at the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. These are where God lays out his idea of what his nation in that time and place should look like. What I want to challenge you to do is not stop with what I'm going to be sharing with you today. I want to challenge you to go deeper later on. One of the other uh, laws or codes of law in that time was Hammurabi's code. Hammurabi was a Babylonian king. And his code of conduct, his justice system, actually uh, comes before Moses and what God gives to Moses. And one of the really interesting things that you can do is go and compare and contrast. There are similarities, but there's also some very glaring differences. What I want you to think about, if you ever do go and do this, and I hope you really will, is look at at how the law of Moses that God hands down is different than Hammurabi's code. Hammurabi's code is put in place to protect those who are wealthy and the king himself. All the laws kind of tend to lean towards making sure that those with status keep it, and especially the king. But the interesting thing about the Mosaic Law is that there is equality and care for those who are the most vulnerable in society. You'll see some of the difference, and we'll talk about them as I go through some of the Bible verses that I want to share with you. So let's go ahead and take a quick tour. This is by no means comprehensive. These are just some favorite verses that I've taking the time to look, and I wanted to share with you today, where God talks about caring about the disadvantaged. In this text, we're talking about the poor. Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. So God's saying, don't be stingy when it comes to taking care of the poor. Being stingy implies that you don't believe that God is able to take care of you. It's the whole idea that if I give away what I have, God is not capable of taking care of me, and so we hold on because not because uh, you know, we hold on because we don't trust God to be able to resupply what we give. How about Deuteronomy twenty-four fourteen, never take advantage of the poor, or destitute laborers, whether they are fellow Israelites or foreigners living in your towns. Never, don't take advantage of the poor or destitute laborers. It's one of the things that we watch happening even in our society today. Those who are desperate for work, we pay less because we can get away with paying less. But that's not a biblical way of doing things. So in some ways, dare I say it, in this particular case, the Old Testament may be a little bit more progressive than our own society And before we start, it's really easy to cast stones, but all of us like the cheap stuff that we're able to buy at different places that offer cheap stuff, right? And many of us are very much aware of how, why that product is affordable and cheap. It's because someone somewhere else in the world is being taken advantage of. So it's easy, again, to point fingers back in history a little less hard, a little harder for us to look at ourselves and say, what am I doing when it comes to justice and caring about these things? You must not exploit a widow or an orphan. You must not exploit them. In a lawsuit, you must not deny justice to the poor. Again, if you go look at Hammurabi's code, you're not going to find this. Justice is for those with status and who can pay for it. In a lawsuit, you must not deny justice to the poor. God says it doesn't matter what a person's status is, you treat them equally and fairly. I want you to know in that time and place, that was a revolutionary idea. Cursed is anyone, God takes it one step further. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows, and all the people say, let it be. Anyone who denies justice, anyone who doesn't do what is righteous, the foreigners, orphans, or widows, again, the most vulnerable in society, may they be cursed. If your neighbor is poor and gives you his cloak as security for a loan, do not keep the cloak overnight. In a place where what you had was what you had, if you took a cloak, if you took somebody's coat, essentially, Away from them at night, they're going to be cold. They weren't going to sleep well. They were going to suffer. So what does God say? If you happen to be using that cloak as a guarantee that you're going to get your money back, you have to take that back to them every night so that they're warm at night. Think about that. True justice must be given to foreigners living among you and to orphans, and you must never accept a widow's garment as security for her debt. So check that out. So a minute early, we heard that you had to return a garment at night, but God takes it one step further for one of the most marginalized people in the society at that time, a widow. He says, you're not even allowed to take a piece of her clothing as a guarantee for the debt. You're not even allowed to do that. It's not right. This woman needs everything she has. How about this one? You must pay them their wages each day. Talking about their workers, the people that are working in your vineyard or in your fields. You must pay their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and counting on it. If you don't, they might cry out to the Lord against you and it would be counted against you as sin. In other words, God said, I know this person, if they don't get their money at the end of the day, they might be hungry. And that's not right. You don't get to hold their wages until it's convenient for you to pay. You pay them now so that they can have what they need to survive. But let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. This lets the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for the wild animals to eat. The same applies to your vineyards and gardens. Every seventh year, they had to let the land rest. By the way, don't tell me that God doesn't care about how we take care of this earth. That's a verse that would argue with you. God even sets aside a rest for the earth every seventh year. And what becomes even more beautiful about this verse is that when God sets aside that rest, what does he do? He sets aside that food that's being produced on that land, not for the owner of the land, but for the poor and those in need. Foreigners, even. The same is true with their olive uh, uh, groves and their vineyards. So anything that was growing in there, they could not harvest. They had to leave it for the poor. But it even gets better. In Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29, at the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe. Tithe always means the same thing. Wherever you read it in the Bible, it means 10%. 10%, that's literally what the word tithe means, 10%. At the end of every third year, bring the entire 10% of that year's harvest and store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of the land among you as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans and the widows in your town so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all your work. Isn't that cool? So every seventh year, The poor get to harvest whatever they they can get out of that land that's lying fallow. And every third year, everybody has to bring 10% of what they've brought in so that it can be given to those who are doing spiritual ministry and to the poor and those in need and who are hungry. Isn't that incredible? How about this? When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord, your God. Again, incredibly progressive. What God says is, leave everything that's on the edges of your field. By the way, that's where the paths and roadways would be. So anybody who comes walking by, if they are in need, can harvest that themselves and they can have it. Leave for others. You don't get to take everything. Even when you're tithing, you don't get to take everything out of your field. Think about that. It's incredible what God is doing to try to provide for the needs of those who are less fortunate. In the same way, with your grape crop, do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. If one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner or a temporary resident and allow him to live with you. Do you catch that one? Do you hear what he's saying? God is saying, treat him like a foreigner, which is not, which is to say, you're supposed to be treating the foreigners really well. This isn't the reverse; is like treat them badly. No, he's saying when somebody falls into poverty, and and you'll notice here, it doesn't say if he wasted all his money, if he made bad investment decisions, if. There's no caveats here. It just says, if one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and cannot support himself, support him as you would, which is to say, support him well. When you beat the uh, the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boughs twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, orphans, and widows. This means that, I don't know how many of you have actually seen this being harvested, but if you're beating those tree limbs, you only get to go over them once. That means not everything's gonna come off. Again, leaving for those in need in a society that's agrarian, thinking about ways to create justice and righteousness in a society where people are having to live off the land. Does that apply to us today? Yes, but in a different context. How does that apply? I'm going to let you work that out in your own mind. Deuteronomy 23. No Israelite, whether man or woman, may become a temple prostitute. Do not charge interest on the loans you make to a fellow Israelite, whether you loan money or food or anything else. In Hammurabi's code, one of the very interesting things is that Hammurabi lays out how it's possible for a father to put his daughter into temple prostitution. you imagine that, by the way? As a parent, can you imagine putting your child in as a prostitute anywhere? Hammurabi's code allows for it. God's code does not. He also says, do not charge interest on loans that you make to fellow Israelites. Now, in full disclosure, God says you can charge interest to foreigners. But keep in mind that even then, the Bible is very clear that they have to be fair to those foreigners. Back in those times, it was not unusual to have 50% interest rate, which would be overwhelming. And God says, not so amongst you. How does that apply to us today? Something to think about. So let's talk a little bit about an uncomfortable subject. It's uncomfortable for me because I don't like it. But in the Old Testament, God allows for slavery. There's provisions in there. And there's some that are just really hard to swallow, if I'm just going to be honest with you. But what I also want you to notice is that God does something that is pretty progressive also for that time and that place. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he may serve no more than six years, set him free in the seventh year, and he will owe you nothing for his freedom. God had a provision that people would not stay in slavery. Again, this did not apply to foreigners, and that's one I struggle with a little bit. But it did apply to their dealings with each other. This is also an important thing for us to think about. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but on the seventh day, you must stop working. This gives your ox and your donkey a chance to rest. It also allows your slaves and foreigners living among you to be refreshed. What's amazing to me is that God says, in a society that says work seven days a week, God says, even those that are in slavery get a break. Even those in slavery get a break. Now, that makes me uncomfortable that anybody's in slavery in the first place. But God does things differently than the society around him. One of the things that I think we also need to remember is that One of the founders of the Adventist church, and a woman I think God spoke directly to, said that truth is progressive, Ellen White. She says truth is progressive. doesn't mean that truth changes, but what it means is how we understand truth grows and multiplies, and that's why we shouldn't be afraid of growing in our spiritual walk. That's why we shouldn't go back to that time and say, well, let's go ahead and have slaves since it's okay to do that in that place, in that time. No, that would be regressing, not progressing. But what God was always do is trying to inch his people forward from the society that was around them. One of the things I've learned as a leader is that if you try to change everything at once, people can't handle it. They'll never be able to deal with it. And it's easy to say, well, God should have changed everything right there on the spot. But would the people at that time have been able to handle that? It would, would have been so different that they couldn't have begun to wrap their mind around it. That's my opinion. And I think what God was doing was inching them forward, pushing them further away from what was unjust in the world around them. Check this one out. If a slave escapes, you are not to hand them back to their masters. That's different than Hammurabi's code. In Hammurabi's code, you have to hand them back, and if you don't, you can be killed for not giving them back. Different. Do you see some of the differences there? What I want you to understand is that God has always cared about having a just society that treats people well. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight for the rights of widows. God isn't asking, he's commanding his people to care for the marginalized and the vulnerable in the world around him. Why does he do that? Deuteronomy 4 lays out why God laid out his law. He says, look, I teach you these decrees and regulations just as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may obey them in the land that you're about to enter and occupy. Obey them completely and you'll display your wisdom and intelligence among the surrounding nations. When they hear all these decrees, they will exclaim... How wise and prudent are the people of this great nation for what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation has decrees and regulations as righteous and fair as the body of instructions that I am giving you today? You see, God, when he laid down his law, knew that if they did what he asked them to do, which they did not, but if they'd done what he'd asked him, it was going to completely and utterly change the world. The promised land was not the promised land by accident. When you look at the geography of how God laid, where God put his people, he put them on the crossworlds of the known world at that time. Trade routes came through there. And if they had done what they'd been asked to do, they would have changed their world for better. They would have changed their world for better. It would have been a more just and a more wonderful place. And what we see is that when Jesus finally does come and he comes to that crossroads of the world, he does change everything. We see Christianity spread. Why? Because it is just and it is fair and it cares about the marginalized, which is not something that usually happens in society. It is an unusual event, but it is what God wants for each of us. This is why we have to talk about protecting the vulnerable. It's why as a church, we have to do more when it comes to caring about the poor and those in need in the world around us. We are never more like God when we do that than when we do that. So I leave you with a question today. How do we, how do we as whole life arise as reflectors of our creator when it comes to the issue of taking care of those who have less power and resources in our society. It's a question I want us to spend some time on. Prayerfully think about it.
3: Jesus, Jesus. make me a channel of disturbance.
2: Where there's apathy, let me provoke.
3: Where there is compliance,
2: let me bring questioning.
3: Where there is silence, let me be a voice.
2: Where there is too much comfort and too little action,
3: grant disruption.
2: Where there are doors closed and hearts locked,
3: grant the willingness to listen. When laws dictate,
2: and pain is overlooked.
3: When tradition speaks louder than need.
2: When we refuse to take control of our own spiritual growth,
3: our Our own mission... Our own poor... Disturb me, O Lord.
2: Teach me to be radical. Radical. O Divine Master, grant that I might seek rather to do justice than to talk about it.
3: To be with as well as for the
2: poor. To love the hard to love as well as the lovely.
3: To kiss the children of the poor rather than the feet of the crucifix.
2: For it is in giving that we receive
3: it is in walking with that we truly understand
2: it is in challenging evil that we achieve justice
3: it is in the struggles of this life that we touch eternity
2: lord make Make me me a channel channel of of disturbance. disturbance
4: All right, now is the time to respond to the sermon, Um, and we already have some questions online, but if you'd like to submit a question, go for it. Uh, It's available on our church website, live, or on Facebook. Just look for the video there. Uh, I'm going to go right into this question we got early on, um, and it's from um, Jim, and he's asking, is... Is it the same type of a rising justice that we see, uh, what you talked about today, is it the same as what we see with Daniel in the lion's den, Samson or Jonah, probably more Samson and Jonah who both kind of went against what God said, but still in the end, some justice happened. What is that similar to what we heard about today or compare and contrast for me? So...
1: Um, go ahead and, uh, I'm a visual person, so you, when it's you hard, say it yes. auditorily, I have, to, <laughs> I have to say it twice in my head, sure. so you say it one more time for me.
4: What kind of, um, I'll, I'll read it the way he wrote it. I did a little bit of translating, but what kind of arising justice can we get from Daniel and the lion's den, Samson, or Jonah? Can, what kind of lessons about justice can we learn from then? Maybe is a better way to put it.
1: Um, I would say there's probably a lot of, uh, lessons we could learn from it, um, I think that, um, you know, certainly I think Samson and Jonah fell a little bit short on on wanting justice to happen or a little bit more preoccupied with themselves. Um, and on the other side of things, I think Daniel, uh, one of the interesting characters of the Bible, the Bible is pretty faithful about telling his people's shortcomings, and Daniel's one of the few that they don't share any shortcomings with. Um, and so. Um, yeah, you know, I I'm probably struggling a little bit with that question. Sure. I'm not well, 100% sure where the... the I guess I'd say
4: Daniel that. probably had more bad things happen to him than it seemed like he deserved is one side of justice. Yeah. Um, but yet he was saved over and over. And Samson, in the end, was able to still um, fulfill God's mission in the end, um, even though he totally, just time and again, just went against what God asked him to do. But um, is there maybe the, maybe there 's hope for us and and justice <laughs> i think
1: there 's a lot of hope for us. I think uh, one of the the beautiful themes of the Bible is that we don 't our our job is to do to to join with Jesus in seeking to do justice, recognizing we 're going to fall short of god 's ideal and knowing that that doesn 't mean that God is giving up on us or doesn 't care about us if we don 't do everything perfectly every time
4: that 's good to know all right um, this one comes from uh, Cecilia, and it says, um, in regards to a God who can't be bribed, why are sacrifices, burnt offerings, so prevalent in Jewish customs?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question. So was God trying to be bribed? The, the question becomes, was God trying to be bribed by what was happening? And when he says, bring these, these sacrifices to me, was this a form of bribing him into to doing uh, what the person, the petitioner, wanted them to be do- done. And um, I think that a, a reasonable person can, uh, two reasonable people can have very different views on this. And so I'll just share that my view is that this is not um, God asking to be bribed. Rather, he's doing something that I think is, is a fascinating thing as an educator. He's putting hands-on experiences with the people to teach them the, the, the cost mm. of sin, to teach them what it was. And so they're not bribing him to forgive them. Rather, he's teaching them what it costs and reminding them that the penalty um, always has to be paid when it comes to sin. Uh, sometimes when I do things uh, that are bad, um, it actually hurts my children, my wife, the people around me. Um, and um, But what it always does it always hurts God
4: mm. so it 's kind of an object lesson, so it 's not necessarily this the burnt offering that cleanses you of sin, necessarily, or
1: it's the act of faith that bringing that offering, the faith um, that, 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 that 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 sacrifice that coming to God and that admission um, is all that 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 act of faith that Jesus would one day be the the the, uh, the foreshadow of our world and, and take away our sins.
4: Kind of the foreshadowing towards that event. Um, and one last question for me here is uh, the question of the day: Is there love and justice? Justice. A lot of times we think of yeah, it's not justice if down.
1: there isn't.
4: It's not justice if it do, if it doesn't have love. Exactly. That's cool. <laughs> tell me. You want to tell me more? <laughs> no.
1: Um, All of if if justice is righteousness, and if God is love, and righteousness is love, then justice is always is always loving. It's like when when I when I discipline my children, the best discipline I do is not when I'm angry at them, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to spite them or get even with them. The best discipline I do with my children is always the discipline where I do it for a purpose, to try to teach them something, to help them grow and be a better person or a better part of society. Not because I'm being punitive, but because I love them and care about them, and I want them to be the best person that they are. And so I think that true justice always is, a, is an act of love. Um, sometimes it's an act of love on behalf of society. Uh, when we think about our belief that, that God will one day get rid of all sin, It's a horrible thing to think that God is going to eradicate those who have not chosen him. And yet, in order for pain, suffering, murder, rape, all those things to finally be gone, that's what has to happen. So it's not God hating, it's God loving that
4: he does that. Very good. Lots to think about. If you have any other questions, please feel free to post them in those chat rooms. And we always get to them. On the podcast, or we try to, I think we've missed a couple that someone named Mark let us know that we missed some, but we will try. We always try to get to them. And that podcast is called This Is Whole Life. It's available everywhere that podcasts are heard. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stanley.
1: Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. I know that I was blessed. I'm sure you were as well. And I thank you for the uh, wonderful music. Uh, those who have provided that music to us today, I really appreciate that. And I pray that you came in contact with a God that cares about justice, cares about righteousness. And I pray that it has inspired you to examine your life and ask how you can be more just in your day-to-day living. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We want to be more like you. In order to be like you, you need to make us more just. You need to make us more righteous. So we ask for that in our life. Change our hearts. Help us to find the love that you have for this world. We pray in your name. Amen. I'm looking forward to seeing you next week. Um, I am going to enjoy listening to one of my favorite speakers, Elder uh, Dana Edmond. He is a friend. He is a wonderful, wonderful person. And you are going to be blessed by the message that he's going to bring to us next Sabbath. It's called God Knows What He's Doing. If you're not familiar with Elder Edmund, he is the uh, executive director of the Office for Regional Conference Ministries. And it's going to be um, just a great sermon. But I also really want to ask you to do something. I know that Saturday afternoons can be kind of valuable time. I know that sometimes we like to use them to catch our breath from the week, um, whether that's going out on a walk or maybe taking a nap or Whatever the case may be, I really want to invite you to really think seriously about spending next Sabbath afternoon here at the church and hearing the presentation that Elder Edmund will be making uh, regarding um, the history of the Seventh-day Adventist church and African Americans. I think it's eye-opening. I think it's relevant. And if you want to be uh, conversational and really understand this, you owe it to yourself to be here next uh, Saturday afternoon for that presentation. Family, I love you. I am so glad that God has put you in my life. Go love your world.
0: Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church, and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace, and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians, all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast related on our website, wholelife.church podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening and have a great week.